that we pray. Amen. Amen. Deuteronomy chapter 11. We're continuing through the book of Deuteronomy, this second law, this sermon, these five sermons that Moses is giving directly from the Lord for the nation of Israel. So let's just dive in here. Chapter 11, verse 1, it says, Therefore you shall love the Lord your God and keep his charge, his statutes, his judgments, and his commandments always. Now you guys, you're, you're teachers of the law, you're students of the law, right, and the scriptures. Anytime you see the word therefore in scripture, well, what should you do? You should see what it's there for. You should look for proper context of why in the world this word is here. So we go back a few verses in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 20. It says, You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him, and to him you shall hold fast and take oaths in his name. He is your praise. He is your God who has done for you these great and awesome things which your eyes have seen. Your fathers went down to Egypt with 70 persons, and now the Lord your God has made you as the stars of heaven in multitude. Therefore, you shall love the Lord your God and keep his charge, his statutes, his judgments, and his commandments always. In view of God's goodness in our lives, we should want to love him more and obey him more. In view of his greatness and his awesomeness, and his greatness and awesomeness, not just for others, but his greatness, his awesomeness for us and on our behalf, how could we not love him and keep his commandments and keep his laws? He multiplied the Israelites from 70 people to over 2 million people in 400 years. How could they not love him? And keep his social laws and keep his ceremonial, ceremonial laws and keep his moral laws. And we're going to see this, I call it trading. It happens in jazz. There's a trading of solos with the different players. But we're going to see this trading throughout the whole chapter. Love God and obey him and this is why you should do it. Love God and obey him and this is why you should do it. And then once again, love God and obey him, and this is why you should do it. And it's always taking a step back and viewing how great our God is and his goodness in our lives. It should cause us and draw us to love him more and to obey him more. He tells us in John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. David Guzik says, Real love for Jesus always translates into obedience. True love for Jesus always translates into obedience. Obedience to his word and to his law reveals a true love for Jesus Christ. And loving him is truly our only chance, I believe, to not become a Pharisee if we are keeping his commandments. If we just keep his commandments and there's not a love for God that's causing this flowing into obedience, we just think we're better than the person next to us. Because look at all the laws I'm obeying and they're not obeying all these laws. I'm better than them. I'm holier than them. I'm more special than they are. But when it's out of a flow of love and gratitude for God, it keeps us holy. It keeps us pure. It keeps us humble. We also see here that love is a choice. 
Love is a decision. And here Moses, God through Moses, is telling the nation of Israel, hey, you should love God. Make the conscience decision to love God. It doesn't depend on feelings or emotions. Love is a decision and a vow that one makes. That's why in a marriage ceremony, right, we have the exchanging of the vows, not the exchanging of the feelings. Hey, now we're going to have the exchanging of the emotions here. No, you have an exchange of vows because love is a decision and a promise that someone makes. And love ultimately is what God is seeking for in our relationship with him. That's what he's looking for. Let's turn to Revelation chapter 2. Real quick, it's amazing how many times we'll look at Revelation tonight. But Revelation chapter 2, verse 2 through 4, we're going to see a church that was filled with works, with labor, with patience, with sound doctrine, tons of things. But they were missing one thing, and it was the most important thing. Revelation chapter 2, verse 2 through 4. It says, I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. You have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and you found them liars. You even have discernment. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you. That you have left your first love. It's a great question for us tonight. Have we left our first love? Is Jesus truly the chief love in our lives and in our hearts? Or has it been replaced with a thing or a person, a spouse, a child, a job, a dream? Or is he truly our first love in priority? It's, I read this in a diva earlier, but it just brought so many things to mind. You do not marry someone just for what they can do for you. If it's a healthy marriage, right? If, hey, hey, this person, man, they're an incredible cook. That's a girl I want to marry, right? No, you marry someone because you love them. I have never heard a guy say, man, I married her so that I could have a babysitter, a cook, a cleaner, a maid. She never sits down with me. We never spend time with each other. We never communicate. She never builds me up. We never talk with each other. We never have a meal together. But our marriage is good, real good, right? I've never heard a woman say, hey, I married him so that I could have my own personal bodyguard. Uh, So I could have a provider. I have my own mechanic. I have my own handyman. But we never sit down with each other. We never spend time with each other. We never speak. We never communicate each other with each other. But our marriage is good. Our marriage is real good. At least in the beginning of any good marriage, the thought of marrying someone comes into mind when you enjoy them being in your presence. You, you like it when they're close to you. You like it when they're in your proximity. You enjoy having them around and you enjoy being with them. And the Lord, he desires us being close to him. God desires us being in proximity with him. He wants us to be near to him. He wants us to want him. He wants us to want to speak to him. He doesn't just want us for what we can do for him or the work that we can do for him. He wants our heart. 
He desires our love. Right, right? As parents, some people will joke around, hey, the reason you have kids is so that they can start taking out the garbage. They can start doing the dishes. They can start mowing the lawn. But it's, it's a lot of work. It doesn't get there very quickly, right? And, and it always comes to mind. One of my nephews, he was a little toddler, and he was out there washing the car with my dad. And I literally saw him. He's walking around watching, watching my dad wash the car. And all of a sudden, he sees a rock. He picks up the rock. He's like, this will be a great sponge for the car, right? And he goes right over to start washing the car with the rock. My dad stops him. But that's how we help God do the work of the Lord, right? That's how we help. Hey, God, don't worry. I got this, right? And we cause even more problems. The Lord, he desires our love more than anything else. Verse 2 through 7, he says, Know today that I do not speak with your children who have not known and who have not seen the chastening of the Lord your God, his greatness and his mighty hand and his outstretched arm, his signs and his acts which he did in the midst of Egypt to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and to all his land, what he did to the army of Egypt, to their horses, to their chariots, how he made the waters of the Red Sea overflow them as they pursued you, and how the Lord has destroyed them to this day, what he did for you in the wilderness until you came to this place, and what he did to Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, the sons of Reuben, how the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up, their households, their tents, and all the substance that was in their possession in the midst of all Israel. But your eyes have seen every great act of the Lord which he did. Here within verse 3 through 7, God is making sure of two things. He wants two things to be certain with Israel. Number one, that the nation of Israel would know God's done all the work. God's the one that's done all the work. We don't see any mention here of Israel and their grandeur or their work or their sweat. It's his greatness, his mighty hands, his outstretched arm, his signs, his acts, what he did, how he made, how the Lord destroyed, what he did for you, what he did to the sons of Eliab, every great act of the Lord which he did. When you look back at your life, who's the person that's doing all the work in your mind, right? Has it been your strength, your power, your sweat, your discipline? Or do you see it for the reality of what it is? Lord, it's been all your greatness. It's been all your grace. It's every act that you have done. The second thing that God is making sure is that the nation of Israel would know they are accountable. They are accountable. They've seen and known God's chastening of them and so many other miracles. And after seeing and knowing so much, God's making sure that they know they're going to be held accountable for it. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 5, a few weeks ago, God said, You should know in your heart that as a man chastens his son, so the Lord your God chastens you. That word chastening, it's, it's discipline. Proverbs chapter 3 Verse 11 and 12, my son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor detest his correction. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects, just as a father the son in whom he delights. Israel had tasted and had witnessed firsthand God's chastening of them. So they tasted and saw firsthand God's love for them. 
But now to consider just how much Israel has seen within the last 40 years. To, to realize how much they've witnessed here. They've seen and known God's greatness and power firsthand. The Nile River was completely turned to blood. Frogs were coming out of every body of water covering the land of Egypt. Lice was in the air. Flies, beetles, and scarabs were sent swarming around the entire nation. All of the livestock died. Boils sprung out on the bodies of men. Hail rained down from heaven. Then locusts came and devoured the rest of the crops. Darkness struck both spiritually and physically. And then the firstborn of every household died. The pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire protected them from the army of Egypt. Then the Red Sea was torn in two so they could walk on dry land. The, na the nation of Egypt's armies was pulled in, right? I don't know how many of us, we see an ocean split in two and we think it's a good idea for me to run right in there, right? They run into the, the Red Sea and then it's closed right on them, destroying the entire Egyptian army. God healed the bitter waters at Marah. Manna rained down from heaven for bread. Water sprung out of a rock simply because Moses hid it. God sent a consuming fire over Nadab and Abihu because they sent profane and strange fire and an offering before God. Then God would send a consuming fire upon the people because they were complaining and murmuring about him. He would send quails to provide meat for them. They won an entire battle simply because Moses' hands were held up in the air. God spoke to two million people from a mountain. Miriam was struck with leprosy and then healed of leprosy within a few days. The ground opened, swallowing Korah and all of his family. Aaron's rod, a dried up stick, budded with flowers and pods. Water flowed once again from a rock in spite of Moses' sin and anger and striking it when he should have just spoken to it. And a bronze snake was placed upon a pole. And if anyone would look up to it, it saved them from death. That's over 26 miracles that Israel had witnessed within 40 years. Luke 12, 48 tells us, For everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required. And to whom much has been committed of him, they will ask the more. Have you ever sat back and thought just how much God has revealed to you? How much of his blessings, how much of his goodness, how many miracles you have witnessed? Do you sit back and think, Lord, I'm gonna, there's going to be a requirement from me for all that I've seen, all that I've known. How much of God have you seen and witnessed? How much scriptures do you know? How many hours of discipleship has been poured into your life? How many solid Bible studies have you heard? Right? What would your expectation be of a believer that went to a three-day Bible boot camp for three days and they received 48 hours of Bible study? A boot camp where you have eight hours to sleep and then you have 16 hours straight of Bible study for three days straight. What would your expectation be for them? And here's the reality. For the majority of us, we've heard much more than 48 hours of solid Bible teaching. To whom much is given, much is required. Let's say you've just been listening to solid Bible teachings for the last year and you've only heard one a year. Now, not many of us are good at math, but 1 times 52 equals 52, right? That's 52 hours of Bible study that you've heard if you've just listened to one teaching 
a week for a year. Two Bible studies a week, 104 hours a year. Three Bible studies a week, 156 hours a year. Let's say you've been a believer for 10 years, listening to 10 years of good Bible studies, and it's just two Bible studies a week. That's 1,004 hours of solid Bible teaching. That's 41.8 days of Bible teaching with no sleep. That's how much you've heard if it's just been 10 years of two Bible studies a week. 20 years of two Bible studies a week is 2,008 hours of solid Bible doctrine. That's 83.6 days of Bible teaching with no sleep. That's almost three months of nonstop Bible studies. To whom much has been given, much is required. In view of all that God had done for Israel, they, need to, they needed to know they were going to be held accountable for it. And I believe it'd be wise for us to know, in all that God has blessed us with, we will be held accountable as well. I think of Paul, how he writes to the churches, at this time you should be teachers of the law, and yet you're still drinking on the milk, acting like a baby. We, we still have to talk about the elementary principles of God with you. Even though you've been walking with Christ for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, what's going on? May we rise to the amount that we know. May we not just be hearers of the law, but may we be doers of the law. May, may we not just be witnesses of God's miracles, but may we be filled with him and going out there bringing other people to the Lord as well. So in view of all that God had done for Israel, in view of all that God has done for us, verse 8 and 9, Therefore you shall keep every commandment which I command you today, that you may be strong and go in and possess the land which you cross over to possess, and that you may prolong your days in the land which the Lord swore to give to your fathers, to them and their descendants, a land flowing with milk and honey. In view of all that you've witnessed, obey. In view of all that you've witnessed, obey the Lord and obey every commandment that he commands us. Obedience to God and his word leads to strength, spiritual strength, which will enable you to enjoy the maximum amount of blessing that God has for you and prolong the days of enjoying that maximum amount of blessing that God has for you. Does anyone here not like enjoying blessings, right? We enjoy blessings. And now if we want to enjoy the maximum amount of those blessings, obey the Lord. O obey His Word. It's like when you know you're going to a really good buffet. Do you eat a bunch of random food before you know you're going to a really good buffet? No, right? What do you do? I'm going to fast, right? Or fast, I eat one piece of bread. Zach, I have my science. I eat one piece of bread, opens my stomach, then I do this, and then I'm ready, right? So you can enjoy the maximum amount. May we be obedient to God and his word so that we can be blessed with the maximum amount of blessings. And then our days are prolonged. We can enjoy as much blessings on this side of heaven as possible. And the opposite is true as well. Disobedience to God will lead to weakness disobedience to God will keep you from enjoying God's blessing. Disobedience to God will also shorten your days of God's blessing in your life. It's really simple. Who doesn't want to obey after, right? After you're reminded of these things. Our spiritual strength, someone's quote-unquote spiritual maturity, spiritual strength is in lockstep with our obedience to God's word. 
It's not our knowledge. It's not how much we've heard. It's not how much we know. It is in lockstep with our obedience to God's word. The more you obey God's word, the more spiritually strong and fit and mature you're going to be. The more you disobey God and his word, the more weak and frail you're going to be. That word, therefore, right? Because of just being in constant remembering. Be constantly remembering what God has done for you in your life. It helps us stick with God. It helps us stick to his word. When we remember his power, his grace in our lives, and then when we also remember our disobedience and our pain in our lives, it should drive us to obey the Lord our God all the more. Pain is a pretty good teacher, right? just depends how much pain you're, you are willing to endure. But pain is a pretty good teacher. Uh, I love Ken Graves. He has a, a Bible study on the prodigal son. And every prodigal, the, the length of them being a prodigal is just dependent on their pain tolerance. That, that's what it's all about. Just how much pain can they endure? But remember. Remember God's blessing and his goodness. And remember the, the pain, the tears the waste when we disobey and when we sin against God. Back to the book of Revelation. In Revelation 2, verse 5, Jesus is writing a letter to one of the churches. And the way for them to get right with the Lord was to remember, once again they remember, therefore from where you've fallen, repent and do the first works. Or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Remember. Remember God's goodness, His grace, His power. Remember the pain of disobedience. He writes it to another church. Revelation chapter 3 verse 3. Remember. Remember therefore how you, are, how you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. Remember and repent. Those are just healthy things in the life of a believer. Remember and repent. We go back to Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 10. He tells them, hey, I have a special land planned for you. Deuteronomy 11, verse 10. He says, for the land which you go to possess is not like the land of Egypt from which you have come, where you sowed your seed and watered it by foot as a vegetable garden. But the land which you cross over to possess is a land of hills and valleys, which drinks water from the rain of heaven, a land for which the Lord your God cares. The eyes of the Lord your God are always on it. From the beginning of the year to the very end of the year. You see, God had a very special land in mind for the Israelites. Egypt had very little rain. When you think of Egypt, do you think of lush gardens, right? Or farming? No, you think of sand. You think of pyramids. You think of the Sphinx. You think of the Nile River. You think of people that are in denial, right? Those are the things you think of with Egypt. Egypt got very little rain. It still gets very little rain. That's why there's so much desert there. So there was tons of work, tons of man-made processes that were needed for it to have any chance of having gardens and vegetation and things like that. It took work. 
Being watered by foot speaks of having to create irrigation from the Nile in order to have any crops or gardens. Some pumps back then were foot-powered, and that's how they'd pump the water from the Nile to these different gardens, these different crops, these areas of vegetables. But what God had in mind, the land that God had Israel to enter into was a land that he cared for, was a land that he watered. It was a land that he paid attention to. The nation of Israel has rain about half of the year, constant rains half of the year. It says that at the beginning of the year and at the end of the year, there's rains there in Israel. Those of us that just came back from Israel a few months ago, hopefully we'll be going back again at the end of the fall. You see just how green and lush it is. And it's the same for us spiritually. The land that God has for us is a spiritually lush place where his spirit is being poured out. Where it's not about our sweat and our trying, our discipline. Discipline is good, but being filled with the Holy Spirit plus discipline is so much better. You, you hear unbelievers trying to push out of them bad habits. Right? They have that cuss jar and they're broke because they're cussing all the time, right? Putting all the money in there. You hear some of them, they'll, they'll wear a rubber band and every time they cuss, bah, right? they're just slapping themselves and hurting themselves. It's this work and this process. But when you're filled with the Holy Spirit and being, being filled with the Holy Spirit, some of these sinful things, they just, they just go away. There's other things that we're still working on until we see him face to face. But there are certain sins that just go away. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17 and 18. It says, Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Let's turn to Psalm 84. What's this land that God has in mind, this spiritual land for us as believers? Psalm 84 Psalm 84, verse 1 through 5. It says, How lovely is your tabernacle, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs, yes, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home, and they swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young, even your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They will still be praising you, Selah. Blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. Jump down to verse 7. It says, they go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. Family, this is the spiritual life that God has in mind for his sons and daughters. It isn't the spiritual life that's a dredge, the spiritual life that's always walking through the mud, the spiritual life, oh, life is so tough, being a Christian is so hard all the time, woe is me. No, not at all. 
The spiritual life that God has in mind for us scripturally is going from glory to glory. The, the spiritual life that God has for us is through and in his Holy Spirit. We can go from strength to strength because we dwell in his, in his house and our strength is in him. If you feel like right now spiritually your life is just a drudge and you're going through the mud, you probably are not either in his house, in his word, or filled with his spirit. Those are one of the things going on in your life. But God did not have in mind one day the church is just going to be filled with spiritual eors and it's going to be amazing, right? There's a bunch of people whining that they're Christians and whining at the world and whining about politics and whining, whining, whining. No, we see with Israel what happens when Israel murmurs all the time, right? Bad things happen. The Lord, what did he have in mind? He had in mind Joshua and Caleb, these men that in spite of seeing difficulties ahead, say the Lord can do this. The Lord can totally do this. Let's go to John chapter 4. John chapter 4, we see the lifestyle that God has in mind, that Jesus has in mind for us. And we don't have to do this constant work and drudgery to create God's blessings in our lives. It's just something that naturally happens when we love him, we obey him, and we're in his will. John chapter 4. John chapter 4. Verse 10, we see this interaction of Jesus with the Samaritan woman right by a well. It says, Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Family, this is the mind, this is the land that God has in mind for us. It's a place where his joy, his blessings, this blessing of rain is being poured out from the heavens down below, the, the Holy Spirit upon us, and also from deep inside of us. There is an everlasting spring of life inside of us as we're connected to him, as we're connected to the spirit, as we're in his house, and as we are in his word. God has a land for us in which he cares about, in which his eyes are on it, and from beginning of the year to the very end of the year, it rains. This is God's mindset for the spiritual land that we are going in. It's also a great verse for Israel, and it's weird, it's like this anti-Semitism is coming up again within Christianity and within churches. No, the Lord, he cares about the land of Israel. He cares about it. His eyes are always on it. He's always paying attention to it. Now, verse 13 through 15, right, back and forth. This is God's plans. This is what God has done. You should obey him. God loves you. God cares for you. He's done miracles. You should obey him. Verse 13 through 15 he says, and it shall be that if 
that if you earnestly obey my commandments, which I command you today, to love the Lord your God and serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, then I will give you the rain for your land in its season, the early rain and the latter rain, that you may gather in your grain, your new wine, and your oil. And I will send grass in your fields for your livestock, that you may eat and be filled. All Israel had to pay attention to was verse 13, and then God would take care of the rest. If they would just obey God and love God and serve God, he would take care of all their earthly needs. And, and nothing is different for us in Matthew 6, verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Just pay attention that you're obeying his word. You're obeying his commandments. A lot of his word, a lot of his commandments has to do with working hard and saving and preparing. A lot of his commandments have to do with that. Are we focused on the Lord and on his kingdom? Charles Spurgeon said, you mind his business and he will mind yours. Be mindful of God's business. Are you taking care of God's business? Because then he's going to be mindful of yours. He'll take care of yours. And this is so fitting because the Canaanites thought that their God, Baal, he was the one in charge of bringing the rain. He was the one in charge of feeding the crops. He was the one in charge of bringing up the grass. Yet the Lord says, hey, I'm going to put you into the land of Canaanites. I'm going to destroy them and their God. And if you just obey me, I'll take care of the rain. It won't be Baal. I'll take care of the rain. It won't be him. No, I'll take care of the grass as well. Verse 16 and 17, he says, Take heed to yourselves, lest your heart be deceived, and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them, lest the Lord's anger be aroused against you, and he shut up the heavens so that there be no rain, and the land yield no produce, and you perish quickly from the good land which the Lord has given you. So once again, compare and contrast. If you obey, hey, I'll give you rain, latter rain, grain, wine, and oil, and grass in your fields for your livestock. You'll be able to eat and be filled. However, if you disobey, if you walk away from the Lord, then you get the Lord's anger, you get no rain, you get no produce, and you're going to die quickly. I think the options are very clear, right? I'm going to make my decision here. I remember when I, the first time I said, yes, I want to be saved, I was five years old. And I said, hey, if you're saved, you go to heaven. If you're not saved, you go to hell. Easy peasy. I want to be saved, right? Easy decision here. And here for the Israelites, it's so simple. And yet what would Israel do? They would depart from the Lord their God. They'd go serve the other gods. They would set up temples for the prophet Baal. I mean, for the God Baal. In 1 Kings 17.1 Elijah, and one of his most famous stories was Elijah versus the prophets of Baal. And the, the battle there was that Elijah, he knew what the word of the Lord said. That if Israel would depart from God, there would be no rain. So Elijah, what a prophet does is not, hey, I'm getting this vision from the Lord. A prophet just gets the word of God and brings it to the forefront of the people. In 1 Kings 17.1, it says, Elijah the Tishbite said to Ahab, as the Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. 
Because Ahab's heart left the Lord and went to all these other false gods and idols, false gods and idols that he thought would bring him more blessing, Elijah brings the reality of Scripture to him. And then there's no rain in Israel for many years until they finally have this duel of Elijah versus the prophets of Baal. He goes to the mountains. That was Baal's turf, right? And he says, hey, let's see who's going to win here. We know they go crazy. They start screaming. They start cutting themselves. We see Elijah. He has the gift of sarcasm. He's being sarcastic with them, right? Maybe your God's asleep. Maybe he's on vacation. He can't hear you. Scream a little louder. And then what does he do? He dumps water over the altar over and over and over again. He prays. And what happens? Fire rains down from heaven, sucks up the water, consumes the sacrifice, and then he cleans house. He kills all these prophets of Baal. He warned Israel, hey, stop stop limping between these two positions. If God is God, serve him wholeheartedly. But if Baal is God, go serve him completely. And many of us as believers, we're limping between two positions. We want to serve the Lord our God, but we think, man, if I stay friends with these people, it's going to bring blessings to me. Hey, I want, I want to serve the Lord my God, but if I just fudge these numbers a little bit, then I'll get this extra bonus. I want to serve the Lord my God, but if I serve these other gods, if I just do whatever my kids want, then they'll stay in my lives. We have to stop limping between two positions. If God is God, serve him wholeheartedly, be mindful of his business, and he will take care of yours. It's only until this revival happens that then Elijah prays and he prays and he prays and rain comes once again for the land of Egypt, uh, for the land of Israel. Not Egypt. Egypt got no rain. We talked about that. Verse 18. Therefore you shall lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul and bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. It's so interesting what gets impressed into our hearts and into our souls. It just takes one small melody, right? Or you hear one word and then all of a sudden you're transported 10 years back, 20 years back, and you have this song playing in your brain that you thought, man, this song was long gone. Where did it come from? Those words get impressed into our heart, impressed into our soul, impressed into our minds because we hear them over and over and over and have a catchy beat too, right? But what we are to do is we are to impress God's word upon our heart. That's what he says there. When he lay these words in your heart, in your soul, bind them in your hand, bind them in between your eyes. It's to impress the word of God upon our heart. How much of God's word are we hearing? How much of God's word are we reading? Psalm 37 verse 31. The law of his God is in his heart. None of his steps shall slide. Is God's word impressed upon your heart? And if it's not, just start listening to more and more of God's word. How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed to the word of God. That's how we get cleansed. That's how we get stronger is by hearing God's word and being obedient to it. We need to impress his word upon our hearts because we are prone to going after other gods. That's what we're prone to do. That hymn, Lord, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to wander. The God I love. But Lord, here's my heart. Take and seal it. Seal it for that courts above. That's why we need to be taking in God's word over and over and over again. 
Then he says in verse 19 through 21, you shall teach them to your children, speaking of them when you sit down, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. And you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates, that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers to give them like the days of the heavens above the earth. This is a repeat in Deuteronomy 6 verse 7. It says, you shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in the house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. True parenting is just constantly talking about the Lord with your kids. And the way you're going to constantly be talking about the Lord with your kids is if the Lord is what's constantly in your heart and on your mind. Whatever's in the cup, when things go good, when things get bad and it gets shaken, that's what's going to come out. I forget who said it. He says, Christians are like tea bags. You see what flavor they are when they're sitting in hot water. Right? When, when things get hard, when things get difficult, we're going to see what's coming on out of here. If it's just a bunch of sin, a bunch of disgustingness, a bunch of the flesh, a bunch of carnality, or if truly this is a person who's abiding in Jesus Christ. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 7, when it says, teach them diligently to your children, it's the same word where we get to sharpen or to wet a sword or a, uh, a tool. It's to sharpen it. And the way you sharpen a tool or a knife or a sword is slowly but surely and slowly but surely and slowly but surely over and over and over again. For the parents, we are to teach the commandments of the Lord our God to our, to, to our children diligently. That's what it's going to take to impress God's word upon their hearts. There's good godly Christian music. There's even kids Christian rap music. It's hilarious to me, right? But hey, it impresses the word of God upon their hearts. Just like sharpening a tool, it's much more effective to do it consistently slowly and surely. What happens when you get a super high-powered grinder and you just put a knife on it or a machete on it? What starts happening? Metal starts flying everywhere, right? Because you go too fast and you push too hard and then all these types of things happen. But when you go little by little, slowly but surely, there's less friction, there's less mistakes, there's less breaking, and you get a sharper and a stronger tool and instrument i think it's so great how psalm 127 says like arrows in the hands of a warrior so are the children of one's youth sharpen them slowly but surely slowly but surely and what is it like to constantly engrave constantly take that wet stone of the word of god to our kids talking about it when you're sitting in your house when you're walking by the way when you're lying down and when you're rising up that's like the whole entire day. That's every week, right? You go walking and you talk about the Lord. You sit down in your house or at the dinner table, whether board games, even doing their homework. Talk about the Lord. When you're walking in the grocery store aisles, talk about the Lord. When you lie down before you go to bed, before they go to bed, remind them of the Lord, the, the Lord and His love. When you rise up, read a devo real quick before your way to school. Pray with them. Listen to God's Way Radio, live radio program, right, on your way to school. Sharpen them over and over and over again. Let us engrave and impress the Word of God into our hearts. 
Verse 22 through 25. For if you carefully keep all these commandments, which I command you to do, to love the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, and to hold fast to him, cling to the Lord, then the Lord will drive out all these nations from before you, and you will dispossess greater and mightier nations than yourselves. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads shall be yours, from the wilderness and Lebanon, from the river, the river Euphrates, even to the western sea shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand against you. The Lord your God will put the dread of you and the fear of you upon all the land where you tread, just as he has said to you. Now this is a very special promise for the Israelites. It's not a promise for Christians today or all of America. We're going to go and take the world global domination, right? That's not what it's about. This is a special promise for Israel that from the Euphrates all the way to the Mediterranean Sea, that was what God had in mind for them. Was Israel really able to take captive of all that God had in mind for them? Sadly, no. Right? May, may that not be said of us. But God was the one that was going to fight their battles. And the way we're on the winning side is just by obeying him. Once again, it's simple. Hey, just keep his commandments. Do what he commands us to do. Love him. Walk in his ways. And he's going to do the rest. Focus on the Lord. Focus on his word. Focus on obeying him. And he's going to do the rest. Well, you know, he put the dread and the fear in the hearts of Israel's enemies. Whether it was Gideon. Remember Gideon when he went to spy out the Midianites and he was scared and nervous. And he hears in the tent these two soldiers. And the soldier had a bad dream of a huge loaf of bread coming down and destroying them. And he says, it's none other than Gideon, right? It is God putting the fear in the hearts of Israel's enemies. Uh, the same with Jericho. The fear of Israel and the fear of the God of Israel was all in Jericho. That's what Rahab tells the two spies. Verse 26, Behold, I set before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I commanded you today. And the curse, if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside from the way which I command you today to go after other gods which you have not known. I think it's interesting. In verse 26 and 27, within the blessings, there's no buts there, right? There's no, I know that's what the Word of God says, but, but, but. I know that's what God's Word says, but you, but you don't really understand what's going on here, right? That's disobedience. Whenever we put that Word into us obeying the Lord, it's disobedience. And you find it right smack dab in the middle of verse 28. It leads to cursing. When, when we disobey God, when we disobey His Word, we are sowing and reaping. Now, for us today, we are just going to be blessed if we are in Jesus Christ. If we're in Jesus Christ, he took upon himself the wrath of God and the curse of God on our behalf. But as we read earlier in John 14, 15, if you love him, you will keep his commandments. And there's a law within all of scripture of sowing and reaping. And whatever you sow, that's what you're going to reap. So if we're sowing towards obedience, we will reap the blessing of God in our lives. But if we're sowing to disobedience and carnality 
and the flesh and being like the world, it's going to lead to destruction and cursing. Verse 29 through 32. Now it shall be when the Lord your God has brought you into land which you go to possess, that you shall put the blessing on Mount Gerizim and the curse on Mount Ebal. This will pop up again later in Deuteronomy. Are they not on the other side of the Jordan? Towards the setting sun in the land of the Canaanites who dwell in the plain opposite Gilgal besides the terebinth trees of Moreh. For you will cross over the Jordan and go in to possess the land which the Lord your God is giving you. And you will possess it and dwell in it. And you shall be careful to observe all the statutes and judgments which I set before you today. And family, it's the same proposition for us this evening. God sets before us a blessing and a curse. A blessing when we obey him, obey his word, put the foundation of our lives upon Jesus. And a curse when we disobey the word, when we become friendship with the world and the enemies of God. It only leads to cursing. So, man, I would encourage you, remember. Remember. Take a step back. Remember all that God has done for you. And go back to your first love. If you're realizing, man, I'm, I've walked away, I'm barely at church, I don't even care about the Lord, where's my devotional life? Right? Have you ever done your devos and you close your Bible and say, man, that was a waste of time, I shouldn't have done those devos, right? What was I even thinking doing my devotional, right? Not at all. Every time I spend extra time in my devo time, I was like, oh man, that was so awesome, that was great, I should do that every day. And then what happens the next day, I don't do it, right? I mess up. I don't read as much as I should. I don't sit down, put the phone on airplane mode, throw it in another room, and just sit before the Lord our God. So, man, can't rekindle that love for the Lord. And if you don't know where to start, just ask him. Say, say, Lord, I want to love you, like Scripture says, but I don't know how. Would you help me? Would you help me to do this? So, hey, let's pray. Worship team, you can come on up, and we'll go ahead and close. So, hey, let's all stand, and we'll close in prayer. Lord, we thank you, Lord. We, we thank you, Jesus, that you took the curse for us, Lord. You took the penalty for our sins and our shame and the, the hell and death sentence that we deserve. Thank you, Jesus, for taking that on the cross for us. Uh, but, Lord, we pray that your sacrifice wouldn't be in vain for us, Lord. That your grace wouldn't be in vain, Lord. Your mercy upon our lives wouldn't be in vain, all the miracles, all the blessings, God, that they wouldn't be in vain. They wouldn't be a waste, Lord. So Holy Spirit, strengthen us to, to work harder for you, Lord, out of love, out of gratitude. And Lord, we pray if anyone is here, Lord, and they're realizing they've left their first love, they, they don't love you the way they used to, they don't read the way they used to, they don't serve the way they used to, Lord, we just pray that tonight, they would return to you. They would remember you, Lord. They would repent and do those first works once again, God. So, Lord, we love you. We thank you so much for tonight. Thank you for the family, Lord. We love you and we thank you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.